For the last couple of hundred years, uh, doubt and scepticism have been a natural part of the thinking and process of most people raised in our society, most in, kind of in, a, in an enlightenment, um, post-enlightenment society. Almost every aspect of the visible world has been questioned, dissected, and subjected to some kind of scientific investigation. This is just the default approach to the world for us in, in our society. At the same time, what cannot be discovered by the senses or subjected to scientific inquiry has been either rejected outright as imaginary or at the very least pushed to the margins of acceptable discourse. For us as Christians, reality is comprised of the entirety of creation visible and invisible, as we say in the creed every week. Yet we are not somehow immune to the effects of this way of thinking. All of this is to say that we should have quite a lot of sympathy for the doubts and scepticism of Thomas as presented in today's gospel reading because, well, I'm pretty sure at least that if someone had told me that someone I knew to have died was walking around alive, I would probably be doubt and be sceptical as well. So just to recap the story, following the crucifixion and burial of Christ, the disciples were gathered in a room with the doors closed and locked for fear of the Jews. On the evening of the Sunday after Passover, Jesus Christ enters the room. He appears in their midst and stands in their midst and he greets them with the words, peace be with you. And he shows him his hands and his hands, feet and the wound in his side. Thomas is not present with them. Um, and he doesn't accept the testimony of the disciples when they tell him about Christ's resurrection. He stated, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails, and my hand in his side, I will not believe. Very emphatic. Eight days later, the disciples were gathered together again, um, but Thomas was this time present, and the Lord appears in the same manner. Standing in the midst, he says, peace be with you. He then spoke directly to Thomas and said, put your finger here and see my hands, reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. And Thomas answered, my Lord and my God. Now Jesus replied saying, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen, yet have come to believe. And what we see in this story is how obstinate doubt was turned to faith by seeing the crucified and risen Christ. The Gospel reading tells us that the other disciples were hiding in fear of the Jews when Jesus appeared to them and showed them his hands inside. On the basis of what they saw, they believed Jesus was resurrected and reacted with joy. Tom Sarah was not there, and when they told him, he reacted in a way that would perhaps be natural to us. He not only wanted to see Jesus, but he wanted to touch his wounds. So I, I can imagine if someone had said, you know, someone had died and they said, well, I've seen that person over there, I would not necessarily even believe my sight. I would want to actually touch it. You know, maybe there's some technical thing someone's done, they're playing a trick. So he actually wants to touch the wounds. He's very emphatic about it. He emphatically wanted to personally verify with his own senses what they were saying by sight and touch, or he would not believe. Eight days later, he has his chance. Once again, uh, this time when Thomas is there, Jesus comes to them. They're still locked away in hiding. And he tells Thomas to do exactly what he said he wanted to do. Touch, touch my hands, touch my side, do what you want. He tells him to do it. However, when Thomas sees Jesus, he no longer needs to touch the wounds in his hands and his side. 
and he makes a very unique direct de- declaration of faith. In fact, it's, the, it's, it's unique among all the disciples. He says, my Lord and my God. No other disciple makes that declaration in the Gospels. And here he is applying to Jesus titles reserved only for Yahweh, the God of Israel in the Old Testament. So that's quite a significant declaration. Despite this, Jesus, while not diminishing seeing as a way, of, a way to belief, he doesn't say that that's wrong, he doesn't diminish it in any way, he nevertheless says that he's more blessed to have not seen and believed than to have seen and believed. Now, it's understandable that the disciples needed to see with their own physical eyes the crucified and risen Christ in order to believe that he was, in fact, resurrected from the dead. After all, they didn't really understand who he was before the Passion. This is quite a well-known thing. If you read the Gospels, they don't know who he is. They don't understand who he is before the Passion. Moreover, they don't even understand that he's supposed to rise from the dead. If you recall, just before this, um, a little bit before this passage in John, uh, Peter and John go to the tomb and they enter the tomb and they see the napkin and the grave clothes folded up in the tomb and they don't know what that means. And John writes, he says, because they did not understand that Jesus had to rise from the dead. So John's saying very clearly, they don't know, they didn't know what was going to happen. They didn't really understand, even though the scriptures said it. They didn't understand any of that. So they had to see it. Moreover, these disciples are charged with the initial spread of the gospel. Um, And the gospel was that Jesus had destroyed the power of death and had evidenced this in the resurrection of his own body. These eyewitness accounts of having seen the crucified and risen Christ became foundational in the apostolic preaching of St. Paul and all of the other apostles. You can find it very directly in 1 Corinthians 15. And so them having seen him, physically seen him with their eyes, was a foundational thing which they needed for their work as they went out and preached the gospel. However, there are many then, many other disciples, and of course many more now, who have never ever seen Christ with their physical eyes. That's most of Christians who have ever lived have never seen Christ with their physical eyes. But they have believed that Jesus Christ rose from the dead based on the testimony of others who have told them about this, especially the apostles, but other people who have told them. And Jesus is saying, in in blessing people who have not seen and yet believed, he's telling us that faithfulness to him, even though we have not seen him, is especially dear to God. We are at no disadvantage to those disciples who did see him. Because in ascending to the Father and sending us the Holy Spirit, we are able to receive him in the Eucharist and participate in his body. As we continue to participate in the life of his body, the church, we don't see him directly, but we do see him manifest in those around us. And hopefully, we ourselves manifest Christ as well. There is no greater blessing than to participate in this way of life or in his, his, in his life in this way. I now want to go back to where I started and just talk about doubt, dealing with doubt, since we're all bound to have doubts about aspects of our faith from time to time, especially since, as I said in the beginning, our upbringing has usually inclined us to doubt. The way that we live in our society, our upbringing has inclined us to doubt. Thomas has actually mentioned two previous times in the Gospel of John. 
The first time is when Jesus says that he's going to Bethany because Lazarus has died. So that he's going to Bethany, he's going to raise Lazarus. The other disciples say at that time, but if you go down there, aren't the Jews in that area trying to kill you? And it's Thomas who says, well, let's go down there and we'll die with him. So that's, that's the first time. Um, the second time is at the Last Supper. And Jesus is giving a long discourse at the Last Supper and he's talking about going and preparing mansions for them. And he says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and will take you to myself and where I am, you may, that where I am, you may also be. And you know the way to where I'm going. And Thomas says, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? So he's very pragmatic, very realistic. He's Thomas, right? He's just... So in both instances, though, Thomas appears as a person who is loyal to Christ and even ready to die for him. But at the same time, he's sceptical, stubborn, and a, real, and a bit of a realist in a somewhat negative kind of way. The same picture is intensified in the Gospel reading today. Thomas is depicted as you know, a stubborn realist, as unbelieving and sceptical individual who needs like crude evidence, he needs to touch things um, in order to believe that Jesus is risen. However, when he believes, he offers a wonderful confession of faith, my Lord and my God. So doubt need not lead to a loss of faith. When Christ appeared to the disciples on both occasions, he showed them his wounds. Why? Why did Christ appear to them with his wounds? He could have appeared to them completely whole, as he had been before the Passion. Why did he appear with his wounds? He didn't do that because it was through those wounds that he made death powerless. It was through those wounds that he healed us. Those were part of his experience and they were the marks of his victory, his kingship, his divinity. You can't take away the wounds. Otherwise, he's not Christ. He's not the Jesus Christ who died for us without those wounds. He need, we have to see those wounds. In Japan, there is a technique for restoring broken ceramics. Um, it's especially used for um, in tea ceremony type objects, um, which were very, very valuable. The technique is called kintsugi. Kin is gold and sugi is to join together. So the teacup or the other object is not thrown away, but rather a mixture of lacquer and powdered gold or silver, sometimes platinum, is mixed together and the object is joined together with this lacquer and gold mixture so that the object itself, so it's either joined together at the cracks or even some whole sections are filled in with this mixture, the goal is never to hide the brokenness of the object. The goal is to, you know, it's the history of that object. It's what that object, how it has come to be through its use. So it's not to hide any of those things. The goal is to illuminate the things that have been broken and to, through that repair, show the object as even more beautiful than it was before it was broken. And in this way, it continues to be used. It continues to be useful, continues to serve its purpose. So Thomas doubted the testimony of the others. That was his particular brokenness. We honour Thomas because when he saw the royalty and divinity of Christ in those wounds, the brokenness of his doubt and confusion 
was transformed into a fiery expression of faith, which still shines out 2,000 years later. Maturity in our faith comes with scars, and God's healing of our wounds through Christ doesn't hide them, but rather transforms them, making us shine brighter with his light than we would have otherwise. Faithfulness to Christ in the midst of confusion and doubt is part of the, part of the path that we must walk. We have to wrestle with our doubts and confusion and wait on Christ for their resolution. If we remain with him, he will come to us as he did to Thomas, perhaps not in the same way, but unmistakably, nonetheless, he will come to us and transform our doubt and confusion into fiery faith. The epistle reading today, where, all, where the apostles fearlessly are going out and healing the sick, in the, I think they're in Solomon's portico, they're, in the, you know, they're running around the temple, the, 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 um, the, the high priests and all those people are very upset and they want to throw, and they throw them in prison. So, but now they're fearless. Contrast that with what was happening in the gospel. They're hiding in a room, in the dark, afraid of the Jews, right? Their doubt was transformed into something that spread the gospel through the whole world. So that's the power of this transformation. Nothing is actually hidden, but it's transformed and beautified. So may we all stand firm on the testimony that Christ is risen from the dead and destroyed the power of death. Remain beside him in times of confusion and doubt and always confess with Thomas that Jesus Christ is our Lord and our God. Amen. Rejoice, O life-giving Christ.